Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. This is your host, Jerry Wan. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate you tuning in every day. We're going to get to our conversation with Monica Kang, founder and CEO of Innovators Box here very soon. Uh, before we do that, I want to share with you another great Asian American owned business. And this is for only those who are over 21 or whatever the legal drinking age is in your part of the world. And it is Maku, spelled M-A-K-K-U. Maku is a craft makoli, a Korean unfiltered rice beer uh, that's smooth and refreshing. It's got 6% alcohol. So it's good. It's great. comes in a number of different flavors. You can get it at markets across the country. You can get it at your favorite Korean restaurants. Uh, right now, they're doing a special giveaway with friends from K-Pop Foods. So you can learn more about what they are all about. You can win some and learn where you can get these. And you can find them on Instagram at drinkmaku. That's at drink, M-A-K-K-U. And shout out to Carol for being a listener and a supporter of the show. So go support Carol and her business at Drink Maku. And now my conversation with Monica Kang. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Year Asian Americans. Hope you are staying safe. Hope you are staying healthy and hope you are staying inside. Uh, we are recording this in the earlier part of April. Not sure when you are listening to this, but if you are listening to this closer to the upload date, please stay home. Uh, we're going to get through this together, but the more of us stay home and the more of us uh, help the first responders and all the other important people doing the work out there, um, we're going to get through this together. As you know, we have been speaking to many people in our community who are making the best of the challenging situations that we are collectively going through, um, but also taking this time to speak to more friends, more community leaders, more awesome Asian Americans. Um, who are doing things that, at least for when I was growing up, I didn't think that we could, um, that we needed some sort of permission to go off the menu and to do things that were not, you know, uh, higher education or, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer oriented. So I'm super excited to talk to our guest today, uh, Monica Kang, who is a CEO of Innovators Box. And Innovators Box is a creative leadership firm helping organizations and teams rethink leadership and culture um, in a creative way. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about Monica. Um, I know what you do, and we can tell from you know your, your companies and organizations, products and website, what you do now. But I want to start with how did Monica's and Monica's family move to America? Um, when did you move? How old were you and, and where and under what circumstances that you became an, a Korean-American? So in my case, I was born in the States. Um, I'm currently in D.C. when I were filming this, and that's actually where home is for me and, in fact, where I was born. My family lived in Fairfax, Virginia, and I say past tense because we moved when I was young, and I grew up an uh, earlier part of my childhood also in Korea. Um, and so I, I, and since then, my family stayed there, but I came back to study abroad, <laughs> back into the States uh, where I spent large part of my education time in the States, but my family still lives in Korea. So I'm the only one, my brother also live in the States, but he's currently back in Korea briefly. So yeah. How old were you when you, when your family moved back to Korea? Uh, I just, uh, I think I was just starting. Uh, I was still probably finishing kindergarten and about to start, I think elementary school, because when I went, when I went back to Korea or when I moved to Korea, I was starting first grade. Ah. So at, at that, I mean, it's um, 
hard to know what a four or five year old goes through, uh, to be honest with you. But, you know, you had developed uh, some sort of identity as an American child growing up in Virginia. And um, I imagine going to preschool and other types of toddler activities where, um, you know, obviously we're more diverse here from a visual perspective and, and, a, and a racial perspective. Um, were there some things in your memory that when you went back to Korea, that was a shock to you or, you know, how, how was that like? So I was probably too young to remember on my end, but it's a question indeed that I asked my parents a lot. <laughs> I think the short version for people who wanted the summary is basically I had multiple identity crises throughout my life and I'm very grateful <laughs> for where I am to be able to stand where I am. So that's the short version <laughs> if you want the quick snapshot. Yeah. And I think it means a lot to be able to say this now with a laugh along with it, with humility, knowing that. I'm absolutely grateful for everything that I had to go through and continue to go through because it's a humble reminder that, you know, identity is something that never stops. It's something that you continue to grow with, but something that you choose to decide what you want to make out of it, whether that is your race, age, gender, um, sexuality, or anything else, your job or industry. And that was something that I think constantly both impacted the way I showed up in anything I did and was. And so a quick story to add to your question and how I answered that even was, I don't remember, but my parents tell me the two or three stories that I always go back to that makes complete sense was that um, the if you're seeing the video version, the bubbly version of me is like kind of the original Monica version. But that kind of all shut down when I first went to Korea, because um, for those who don't know the Korea education system, you know, you have kind of a box formula, you kind of had to fit in. And also for me, Korean at that time was a second language. So I would go to school and I wouldn't understand anything, but I know some of the phrases. And I didn't, I don't remember, but my parents would say that every time after school, when I came back from school my first year, that full year, the teacher would confirm again that I did not say a single word. And you see, I'm chatty. I, I, I'm an extrovert. I like to talk. And I did not say a single word because I didn't know how to speak Korean. I, um, But I would still come back home every day and speak to my parents in English and say, my teacher said this was that. This is my homework. I'm going to go do my homework and then I'll play later. And so I think because of probably my type A personality, I was there, but I they saw already a hint of like how I was kind of adjusting. And uh, one way that I visually tell myself to others, when I try to explain myself, how I was growing elementary, middle school in Korea, and then had to readapt to what my American identity was in high school plus, and then back and forth that multiple identity crisis was I felt like I had to learn what it was like in, as an individual in different colors. So I think, the original part of who we are when we we're probably born without any barriers of thinking what gender or age or race or anything of that, we're often the original color of who we are going into true colors. But then when I went into that education system and was forced to think about what is being Korean mean, what does it mean when you're like the foreigner, I had to like think like, oh, maybe this is not appropriate or maybe I shouldn't do that. So I start editing myself out. And it wasn't until when I came back that I had to rediscover and have the courage to tap into it. Um, and now in hindsight, it, I think, permits me to be in a more humble state to relate to all of those lens. So that's kind of the umbrella. <laughs> I find fascinating our friends who children or immigrants ourselves here in the States, particularly relevant now as a lot of negativity is thrown our way just because of the way we look, even though we are all American here. And then going back home, and I'll put that in big, big air quotes, because even when we go back, 
we're still treated as other. And some people just know that you're not from, you know, I, yes, I'm from there. I was born in Korea. But even when I go back, they go, oh, you're you're from America, right? And I was like, well, how the hell do you guys know? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's my language. It's the way I dress. It's my hair. Uh, however it is. So I, I find that balance of feeling of belongingness fascinating because in some ways we have two homes and other ways we have no home. And we have to choose. And, and for people like you and my other friends who have this, you know, duality of having lived as a two-time immigrant or however you want to describe it, to choose to give yourself the best chance of success or happiness and pick one country because neither is perfect, but neither is, you know, but, so both are good options. And so I, I find that really fascinating. Um Talk to me more about your decision to come back to study in the States as an adolescent through high school, other than, you know, what was it, the parental pressure of you have to go study abroad to be a success and, and also give us some commentary on what you chose to study in college there. Yeah. So I feel grateful for my parents. I'll do a shout out to my family. <laughs> uh, I am very close with them. And I know regardless of race or um, any background, you know, that's something that I think we can always have. We sometimes take it for granted. And I think I was reminded of that when I came to high school, because actually even choosing high school or even deciding or not to come back to the States, I now, now that I know more family and friends who are like, have kids that age when I was 15, when I had to first make that trip, making that decision of would I ever want to send my kids to another country and them saying, oh, absolutely not, because I would be scared out to send my kid out in the world. And for them to have that courage to permit me to say, well, dear, like, you know, these are the options you can choose. Do you want to work hard and like apply to like an international school in Korea? Do you want to just go to a public school? Do you want to like go abroad or back to the States? But then you have to work on this. You have to improve on that. And like it was never um, and even till now, it's of course, they're always worried of like, we want to make sure you're safe. And honestly, Asian parenting, that's naturally there. But it I really appreciate that because now I think I think so much more of how much courage they really have to take. And I I don't remember, but my father always say later, like, yeah, I'm almost crying every time because like back home when they're not able to see and back then intern like conference calls and all this right. was a lot harder. And so that permitted me, I think, going back to your next question of what type of thing I chose to study. I felt more liberal and open to choose something that I was genuinely interested in. In my head, I and still am suck at numbers and science and math. So I don't know how I made it, but that there you go. Um, and so the thing that I found that something that I still cared was international affairs, because it was like all these different people from different backgrounds, figuring how to work together. I'm like, ooh, that seems like a problem that I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind spending more time because I was already feeling like in high school, getting used to like being that bridge builder between like, this is what Asian culture means. This is what American culture means. We can appreciate both. Um, and going back to even your analogy of like even among friends who feel like they have to choose between the two, I think really what helped me now to embrace my identity and grow into that fuller version is actually learning how to love both and make space for both under that umbrella of who I am as a person. And so as a result of that, I, I we looked at schools. We happened to find a school that I, I 
or I got in as well. I, I, I can't just like it. They have to let me. <laughs> so I got into one of the schools that I like, which happened to be in McLean, Virginia. So I kind of coincidentally. And so they felt safe knowing that we already know the DMV area, having spent time there. But it was scary knowing that that's 2002. I'm probably giving away my age a little bit for the listeners. But since then, I pretty much learned how to live alone um, because I had to be away from my family because my family still stayed in Korea. And so knowing that I was interested in that and I didn't do well in math and science, I'm like, let me choose political science as my career track and politics and international affairs. And that's kind of what led me to the UN Congress, you know, think tank world, like all of that government work until where I am now in DC. I'm going to go back to the the 10 second version of probably many, many years of your early career. And and because I'm fascinated by very curious about your decision to go into the world of government, uh, MPOs and NGOs, and then all the things that, you know, create policy and, and create discussions. How did your duality of growing up here and in Korea give you different and unique and even more uh, relevant perspectives to speak your mind and to make sure that the perspectives were fair and balanced and representative of the, the constituents that you were tasked with representing? So one story I would like to share that I think might highlight, and I still remember up until this day, this was in high school. We had um, at our school, we had a special program where we got to do internship at Capitol Hill, which was pretty cool. But, you know, as a high schooler, what you would really do is folding letters, uh, you know, sending them out. And for some reason, I was just really fascinated by how the entire policy work um, and what what incident that I never forgot to your question of how I first got to really got more curious about, is this something that would be for me, was that uh, because the representative that I served for, he was a congressman and the representative was also in charge of Asia political affairs, which was actually one of the reasons why I chose him because like, oh, there might be a chance if there's any Asian politics or politicians, they might need to visit his office. And that ended up being the case. And coincidentally, the day I was working, there was a Korean politician who was in the office. And I don't, I completely forgot even the whole context, but what I never forgot was that um, during the conversation, while there were simultaneous interpretation happening, I just remember that the phrase that was said in Korean, yes, the contextual translation interpretation was correct, but the nuance was completely skipped over. And I, I saw my representative frowning for some whatever reason. I'm like, ooh, that looks like a miscommunication. <laughs> but where am I? I'm just a lowly intern and like a, <laughs> like a high schooler. But for some reason, once they left, and uh, that was Grace, show, Grace um, I, I appreciate their grace for me even sitting in that meeting. And so I, I took the courage and said, sir, like, I don't know if it's out of place, but may I just share? And I kind of basically broke it down. I'm like, I don't know if you might have heard this phrase in that way, but I think just culturally, just so you know, the reason why when we say this, that often might mean this. And he was like, oh, okay, that now makes sense. Yeah. And I think that small incident just really sat with me and realizing that, you know, if something as simple as understanding two languages and culture could mean that you can fix small miscommunication moments like that, what many more miscommunication can you stop? What many more communications and relationships could you bridge? And I think for me, because I was always fascinated by people and I still am, kind of it came a curiosity of like, ooh, so that means if I learn more about different cultures, 
then I can connect more cultures and I can connect on that dot. And so that's the story that I still hold on to and why it's important to stay curious. Never assume what you know and just stay open because I might mean something and somebody might else take it a different way. And then that's an opportunity to say, okay, let's talk about why that happened so that we can learn about each other. Thank you for that story. I think it's more important now than ever to not only for for us and anybody, whether you represent any sort of group, um, to not only have a seat at the table because representation and visibility are very important, but also it's what you do with that responsibility and that sometimes we call it a burden. But if you have a platform, if you have a seat at the table, if you have access to people, um, what are you doing with that? Right? It's Sure, fame, glory, money, access, those are cool, but you know, are you using that for good or are you using that to uh, potentially prevent some things, something bad from happening? Um, so you know, whether it is in newsrooms and influencing a decision to you know, use a stock photo of a leading story that might you know, change the narrative of the entire story or um, choosing to you know, flex your network and interviewing some people for a story that might, you know, lead to a better, better storytell. Um, I think those are very, very good lessons that you got to experience earlier in life. And um, sounds like it was pretty cool that you had the ability to, to do that. If I may, can I add one connected point on that? So I would also add yes. And I hope more people who's listening, take a moment to reflect about it doesn't have to be a big stage for you to take this action. So another complete different scenario was when I was interning in um, at the State Department uh, for an opportunity in Vienna, Austria, I was traveling every weekend, I was having a blast learning how to navigate the train system. And one of the things I never forgot was that um, every time I connected with these strangers um, around the world as I was traveling train because I was trying to figure out by myself, they just said that, well, like, I think you're one of the first Americans that who's actually genuinely really interested in my country, who's just really asking all these questions. And they really appreciated that. And I was really humbly humbled one first that they saw me as American because they were focusing first on the accent and they were they were not seeing that as part of it. But two, um, how they express that gratitude and that hung with me as well that you know diplomacy doesn't mean that it just has to be on screen it's the very small things that you're probably doing while you're grocery shopping it's the very small thing that in the way that you're probably communicating even to our children or even as a teacher or even as somebody who's like opening the door for another person and i think that's every opportunity that we leave an impression but also create a memory in how we communicate and they those specific people told me up front and like i'm going to think about america now differently because of you and i really really was heartstricken and it really left me an impression as well. It's funny. Uh, I had a similar moment when when I visited Europe, and it in that moment it's like, oh my god, I'm more American abroad than I am at home sometimes, right? Because the context is some people view America as you know as as one thing. So when you're here, people treat you differently. And again, uh, whether I'm in Korea or in a different place, it's always fascinating when people know that beyond what I look like, people just know from whatever it is, body language, demeanor, uh, language, accents, or even just clothing, that you're American and not you know, from Asia. So I, I think that's fascinating, but you're right. Um, you don't need to have a fancy job title. You don't need to be in you know, the, the highest high-rise conference rooms with access to household names to make an impact, right? And I think it's more so the ability to recognize that you have the opportunity to 
say the right things, even in a one-on-one conversation, even in uh, a Facebook comment thread to remind people that maybe that's not the right way to do things or to view things. Um, And it takes every single person for us to create this massive movement for positivity and and for inclusivity. Um, So you grew up both here and in the state or in Korea, came back, got your education, spent your first part of your career in the world of diplomacy and a number of different hats. What was the spark point or what led to you wanting to pivot and go deep into the world of being a speaker, being a expert on leadership and culture, and eventually taking all that energy to start something that you can call your own in Innovator's Box? It was because I got depressed at a job I loved. Well, you can't stop. You got to you gotta follow up with the story there. I'm sorry. It was too good of a pass right there to end. No, that, I think it's, look, I, I think yeah. what you just shared is something that many people go through. And and so um, if you if you are able to share with us what you meant by that and, and what was the then the, the thing that nudged you to do something about it. So as you all have been listening, I've shared a few minutes ago how even at high school, I kind of knew I loved policy and like international affairs. And uh, for those who kind of got some hints, I, you know, my original kind of habitat was type A perfectionist, (laughs) had a perfect plan. This is how the way in life is. This is where I'm going to get there. These are the type of movies I should even watch. (laughs) Um, And what I quickly realized is that I, I got to finally where I thought was right, what what success, quote, quote, was. And I loved everything I was doing. I loved the people. I was, you know, excited. We, I was in nuclear nonproliferation as my expertise, where basically a jargon of how to prevent the bad guys from having weapons. And if they did, how do we make sure the government is equipped to know where this scattered materials and what to do scientifically and border security? And there was a lot of education and policy and bridge building and going back to me loving how to connect different people. I'm like, ooh, this is one connecting the dots. If you have one thing screw up, everything's going to be screwed up. And like, I was fascinated and really excited to learn more. And yet when I find myself crying to work every day, feeling really stuck and like, um, and people keep telling me you shouldn't complain because you've got everything, like what's wrong with you? Like that wasn't even helpful. And um, I, I just realized, you know, one day as I was crying to work, you know, I was like, you know what, let me start with one decision. I don't know where, but I just, uh, I just know that maybe crying to work, walking to work is going to be less embarrassing because less people will see me. Because at that point, I was already having even suicidal thoughts in creative ways, like, oh, maybe the knife, is, like, I won't go into detail, but like, it was, it wasn't healthy, but I just didn't know a way out. And that small decision was actually a lifesaver because of that simple decision of maybe crying to work, walking is less embarrassing than on the bus because bus everyone sees me even with my glasses Um, when I walk and walk people can't see me as fast I quickly realized I was making many other decisions differently if I have to walk to work in my case I now have to wake up two hours earlier I had to make sure I'm wearing comfortable shoes make sure what I'm carrying I have everything the temperature if it's windy then I need to make sure I have an extra layer and what I realized is that because I needed to make all those decisions I didn't have time to make thoughts about the other things. And over time with that small decision, whether it was adding up to like, Oh, you know what? I've been starting to walk in. Like 
I just realized that store is always closed. I wonder why. <laughs> why is that store always closed? And then feeling the oh, you know what? That cheeseburger. I I've been meaning to check it out. Like let me go. Let me try that. I'm like, who says I need to have salad every day? Like I want to have a cheeseburger today. And all those small decisions start ticking into my curiosity, creativity. Being curious, I, like if you're seeing me on video, like all the paintings right behind, those are some of the paintings I started doing because I was like, let me just do something that is non-career related, just for my self pleasure. And when in hindsight, people ask, whatever you're doing, we thought you were happy, but you seem happier. You already worked a lot. You're working more, and you seem happier. We can't figure out what's going on. We promoted you, and you're still doing more. And I'm like, I don't know. And so it was really in hindsight that I realized, as I was breaking my thoughts down and decisions, that. Because of those one or two decisions, I kept making more decisions around wanting to read more books, wanting to learn how I can stay positive, stay more curious. Like, if that store was closed, I started researching: is there a historical reason why? And getting to all these different rabbit holes that gave me no time to now focus on my negative thoughts.、Mm. And so, when I realized that secret, I got me curious now in another way of like, ooh, so if this is this powerful for me. Maybe I can join a company who can like help that because I'm thriving from this. But I found in the market that it really lacked the type of solution that I thought was needed, which was one. What I found to be most powerful is not just understanding that creativity is not just arts, but it's really in the mindset.、Um, but it was really hard to debunk that if in society we only see creativity traditionally in arts. Or in、uh, forms of、uh, coming often from psychologists, researchers, and therapists, which is great. But if creativity is really for everyone, as science says, it should be taught and be available in every different language. And I found that to be lacking.、Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, I was tired of showing up to places where it's like the creative gathering, and I'm the nuclear kid. I'm like, why can't I just be the Monica kid? Like, why, why do I have to attach that keyword to、right. affiliate? And all those got me realizing that what if I can help create that community space so that when they show up, they are creative as who they are. They're Jerry the person as Jerry, not like Jerry the something.、Right. Um, they can learn those tactical and practical lifelong skills of how they can be creative at work and in their personal lives, and just really live a lens of more color instead of black and white. Whether that's stemming from anxiety and stress or from just wanting to enrich their lives.、Um, so that's. Kind of now the journey I took and where I am now. Talk to me more about the crying to work thing because not not to belabor on a, on a very emotional and, and touchy part of your life, but how much of that was the result of what you thought you should be doing and our culture's obsession with achievements and doing the right thing? And if you quit, it's all your fault, and we don't necessarily think about. The environment and the circumstances that led to somebody's misery, but we oftentimes, unfortunately, get very pressured into continuing to do something because the company's logo is something that our parents know, or it's worthy or、um, cool work.、Um, with, with all the hindsight and perspective that you have now, and then you being in a much much happier space,、um, what do you wish you had known back then about all that and, and choosing yourself over? Something else. It goes back to your first question, actually, on identity, and that's why I think for me, when somebody asks, you know, do I have, like, how do I feel about whether being more Korean or more American? I'm like, I want to dwell on what it means to be Monica of both identities, because that's the same with how we, I think, we feel stuck in the workplace.、Um, 
again, I feel fortunate that my parents weren't as pushy on this. They just wanted to make sure that I was sane and happy. But it probably was the pressure more that I was putting on myself. Like I worked this hard and this is all I get. Like what in the world did I sign up for? Like, that's not what I was expecting. And I, you know, I had to learn how to forgive myself and really think about why am I even doing this work? Is it for others or is it because of my joy? And I realized a large part of this decision was so focused on like, this was the right thing because what I've been both told to do, but also because the box of this is what the resume was supposed to look like. I had to fit in that box. And I realized over time that I had to like get rid of, okay, well, this part of Monica doesn't seem to make sense. So I'm going to forget that. Or this part of Monica is not appreciated. So I have to ignore that. Like over time, I kept fitting myself into this box and realized no wonder I was uncomfortable because I was only permitted to be a small part of who I am. But when I learned to bring that fuller version, that's when I realized, oh, so fuller version of Monica means that I can still love being in nuclear and do this and that and all of that. And that's where I love learned how to re-love my job, fell in love with it, thrived and did even more. And people were getting confused why I was thriving. And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm just loving life now <laughs> and wanting to figure out how do I help more people? Because I know at least uh, we made some progress, but more than 87% of the employees and the individuals in the world are feeling stuck in a lack of creative outlet and if whatever effort has been done out there if that's still the stat and as a person who's not good with mass still see that stat that calls the majority i think we have room to try something different to make space to find those different true colors for people 87 percent, as you just mentioned is seven out of eight most of the people in, in the universe. That's the answer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, look, it's it's not, and, and there's not, you know, there's not much more room to go any higher on that scale to make it even a more alarming case. But um, knowing what you know about your own experience and the Asian American context of cultural expectations, do you think that's higher within our community? Is it something that we feel more, that we suppress more of because of what we think we should be doing? You want the long answer or the short answer? <laughs> Both. <laughs> uh, probably yes. Um, yes, because uh, I'll share in regards to Korean American as an example. I think we get to dwell on two cultures that thrive on being fast, Bali. <laughs> Everything has to be Bali. Uh, you want to get to productivity. You, you talk about culture and leadership and creativity. And the number one thing that corporations still want to hear is productivity and effectiveness. I think hopefully COVID is teaching us a new lesson of, you know, if that's the only aim for creativity, that there might be a reason why it's not showing the full impact because that's only one lens of creativity. And so um, I, I say that, but I start with the phrase maybe because I wouldn't say that can remain to be the barrier we can use that in a positive way because there's a reason why we have like K-pop culture. There's a reason why we have companies like Samsung and like Lotte and all these, I mean, like I still love snacking on all the Korean snacks so much more as well as all the American snacks uh, as a snack monster. Um, and I shared that into thinking about, you know, whether it's that question that we're sitting on or any other questions that we feel of, how do we make sense of this? I think it's really important for us to start with breaking things down into segments that is digestible, which is, I call it into what are the knowns and what are the unknowns? 
because there's also a lot of unknown unknown, but we start with at least those two. So the knowns is that, okay, Korean culture is like fast productivity appreciated. American culture also has that fast productivity appreciated, but I also know that creativity and like me needing to be my full potential and like me not being struck, uh, stuck or depressed is important. The unknown is what can I do and how do I dwell on both of that and balance that out and not let that environment define me when I know I can be so much more. When we pause on that for a little bit more, then it opens up the door of like, okay, because that is an unknown. Can I explore that a little bit more and see what is the known? Maybe the known that you realize is that, oh, so now that I realize the reason why I felt a little bit more stuck and feel pressure to fit in that culture is because I define success a certain way. So now that's in the known category, could we now open up that in a different way? Okay, so then what would success look differently if we opened up the door? Well, maybe success means that I'm healthier. Maybe success means that I'm actually living well as a family member, whether you're a parent or you know individual or you have a partner or a family, um, and doing well at work. Maybe that's your success. And then it becomes a very different decision-making point. Um, and so... I answer your question in this way because I think what's really important is, yes, all of that could feel like there's a lot of things that is out there that is pushing us to be in a box. But I hope you realize is that if there's always a choice we can make, and that was one of the powerful things about understanding my creative mindset is, in an essence, it's actually learning how your brain works. Mm -hmm. And part of that is learning how to segment the known and the unknown, what you can control, what you can't control. You can't control what society, unfortunately, is saying things or, you know, how they're sharing things, but you can control how you respond, how you process and what you do with that information. You can decide how you respond to somebody who makes you upset. You can decide how to process that upsetting event where you were like, that just does not sit well with me. I don't know what to do with it and how you process that. Um, and I think those small decisions over time is where the triangle changes um creates that triangle of a different path literally the road less traveled as a result of that <laughs> but with courage at a time and i hope that helps in finding the courage because i'm not going to change korean culture or american culture but i can learn which part i like and thrive to find which part of that is the part that helps me who i am it that i'm grateful um, i'm grateful that i appreciate fast because i'm still considered fast for a lot of things <laughs> compared to some of my other american friends and i'm slow compared to my korean friends but I can appreciate both. I, I think having lived in both places and having the duality of understanding of cultures obviously has material benefit in active decision making, but I think it also has so much more benefit in just the sub or even unconscious thought processes that we go through. Um, having gotten to know about you and the work that you do brings me personally brought me and continues to bring me just an immense amount of relief and joy and, and pride and excitement because in the space in which you operate in the world of leadership, thought leadership, about leadership itself, speaking and culture, we don't really see a lot of people like me and you. And we don't really see a lot of people um, that really represent the amazing diversity and the, and the richness of culture that exists not only in America, but across the world. And we, we can have a different discussion about sort of the institutional things that allow for 
um, a minority of voices to still dominate what is leadership, what is good, and what should be, uh, particularly in corporate leadership. But um, share with us a little bit on what you've learned in the last few years, hosting workshops, speaking to stages, and and and, and we talked about this uh, before we started the interview, but just um, it might be the only time, or I guess many times where you are the only person on a stage in a room that looks like you. And, and, and how does that excite you and motivate you or give you a new perspective on to do what you do today? Thank you for asking that. And it's certainly a question that I think all of us, I think regardless of race, age, or gender or background to think about because how we show up matters and why we choose to show up matters. I think that intention plays a key role. So one thing that I didn't share at the beginning as part of the story is that there, the reason, the part that you're asking me is part of also actually the reason why I chose nuclear nonproliferation out of all the type of direction I could chose even in policy. Because they found that human rights, energy, sustainability, and all these other things that were like really cool. Also, I was somehow not as equally excited. I don't know why, but military security, like nuclear weapons was a place that I felt like majority of the experts were all white male or post-Soviet Russia comparison. And I'm like, I know about Korea way more than I think do. <laughs> or like the few who were, were like Korean Americans as well, which were great. But, in, and I know I'm Korean American, so I wanted to be mindful um, of not just learning about Korea, but it was an intentional insight that I kept being aware that every place I went, whether it was a networking event or like a hangout or like a conference in the nuclear space, I'm often the only Asian, one of the probably the shorter ones <laughs> in the room, uh, younger ones, uh, female, uh, every stereotype that you can name of, I, I kind of fit in all the buckets. So I think those few years already prepped me being aware of that and kind of learning how to heal myself um, if I ever let that identity be part of the cause. And I loved that you already asked me even at the beginning that how much identity played a role, because I think for me, even before that nuclear incident throughout my life, I had to swing back and forth. Am I too Korean? Am I too American? Oh my gosh, I was saying inappropriate things because in American culture, that joke wasn't right. But in Korean culture, it was like a shame of me. How should I say it? Vice versa. I was too polite this time. Because I continually dwell on that, as I notice myself more in spaces like nuclear innovation and speaking, that I was often the only Asian or the only millennial or the only female, I became more aware to really focus on, like, I need to be comfortable of who I am as Monica as a person. Because going back to what you know and what you don't know and what you can control or you can't, I can't frankly control, even up until this day, what people would perceive and decide to make an opinion when they see me or, you know, hear me. That's something that I can't do anything about. But what I can choose to do is knowing who I am, focusing on improving who I am as a person, and let that be the bigger volume of the vehicle and let that be the fuller story. And what's been a humbling journey is, yes, like if you ask me, like, so now it's been a little bit about a little less than five years I've been doing speaking. I do about 8,200 sessions a year. Um, so right now that's a little different this year for 2020. We're virtual right now. But um, because of that, the first few times I was 
terrified. I still always get a little nervous because, you know, I always want to make sure I say the positive and the right resources. But I always worried more than, you know, would anybody judge me in the way because they think I'm too young or they think I'm younger than them. And I am often talking to people who are 10, 20, 30 years older than me and giving them wisdom. And, you know, so I've um, realized what really helped to me is one, it's really important for you to be intentional, but it's also really, really important, especially if you're in a stage capacity like that, to not let that be the sole definition of why you're there, but rather know that is going to play a role and influence. And if it is going to influence, how can you do it to empower and help more people? So early version of Monica's speaker was more worried about like, oh, what if they think I'm young or like naive and yada yada or Asian? Now what I realize is that no, like, well, people are hiring me because of my expertise. And coincidentally, because I happen to be a female, because I happen to be Asian, because I happen to be a millennial, they can see related points because of that. And it's been really humbling when after I finish a speech, I always have one or two people who share this with me on two different lines. Those who are kind of, you know, just as a simple age bracket, those who are older than me, they would come to me and say, Monica, I, I feel embarrassed to admit this, but I will say this because you seem like a nice person. You can take this is that I admit that I judged you when you first stood on stage because I'm like checkbox, you know, I'm looking at the physical demographic. I'm like, what am I going to learn from this person? But as soon as you started speaking, I forgot everything else because you had so much insight that you were sharing. And like, now I know I'm creative and I never thought that was possible. And now you gave me new hope. I'm really excited. I have all these other questions. Can you help me on that? And the second type of conversation where I meet younger people where they're like, I just realized I never thought about this until you were on stage. But I just realized now that you're on stage speaking that you might have been the first speaker who looked like me, who actually had things that I can also write, but just didn't talk about other things as well. And I think that means a lot. And so as probably you're listening, I, you know, those identity insights are really crucial. But for that to play a bigger role, you really, really have to be good and great at what you do. If I was providing sushi and I sucked at that, that's then I'm not doing a service. Um, and so by me learning how to cultivate that skill, but also first being grounded, I had to really work on like who I am, being comfortable at I, my identity and building that. And then how to hence showing myself and people can see that. Uh, and so I hope that layers of stories help you on that. No, I, I think it's fantastic, you know, because I think um, I, I often get that, too. And this is not a, you know, um, anything to applaud the things that you and I do. But the amount and I'm still surprised every single time. But I, I share a lot on LinkedIn. I, I make videos for LinkedIn. I, I speak in different forums and I do more than I would generally be comfortable with because I know that when I say the same thing, that somebody who doesn't look like me would say that I hit on a different resonance with somebody in the audience because of exactly what you said, because the things that come across in the spoken and unspoken nuance of, I know where you're coming from and therefore I know that's powerful. And if I or you or anybody is the first person that looks like somebody in the world, and then that we become 
the spark for them to do something great. I, I don't think you can really put a value on any amount of hard work. You know, it's just, it makes everything worthwhile, right? So, um, you know, you, you've really sort of nailed why I started this podcast in the first place. It's because it matters, right? And for so long, um, when I was growing up, when I was in high school, when I was in college, and to be um, expected to follow a near linear path to something. And I didn't follow it precisely. I deviated myself, but still living in that world of these are the things that is expected of you. And if you deviate, at least do something that makes a lot of money or that's something that, you know, is it's still quote unquote acceptable um, to hear the stories of people that look like me and you, maybe not precisely, but also to know that we all ended up in this country in one way, shape or form. And we had similar experiences. And now we're going through the same thing. Um, is literally why we started this show. And your story will hit somebody very differently than my story and, and so, you know, many of our other guests. And so um, perfect segue into the way we end all of our shows, uh, which is to go back to the title of the show. And so for all the reasons that I just mentioned, The Asian Americans is a letter to us, from us, by us, and really for us. And so share with us something that you would like to share with the community at large. Uh, maybe it's directed to a younger version of Monica as she's uh, going to high school or um, what experiences that you want to speak to or, you know, somebody out there that, you know, um, potentially it's, it's one of our children listening to this years from now. Um, so I, I will start the letter. And if you could help us finish out the show, Dear Asian Americans, it's okay how you feel. How you feel is part of who you become because of the experience and the lens you will gain in your life. And that is the essence of what will make the way you live and how you inspire others in a different way. And so stay curious, stay open. And it's okay at times if that means you have to cry. And it's okay at times if you want to celebrate and brag. But the key is that just know that it is all part of the journey. And you can always choose what you make as part of your ingredient for the final meals that you have. And don't try to do this alone. There's a reason why we are social beings as human beings. So bring the allies of tribes of amazing people with you. And if you don't have them right now, it's okay as well because you can go find them. Find them, reach out to both either of us or anyone else. I just let Jerry do either of us or anyone else in the world and build your tribe. And, you know, we need more people who are staying curious, have the courage to try something different because we need a more colorful world. And your color will shine somebody else to find that new hope. Thank you, Monica. Share with the audience where they can learn more about you, Innovators Box, um, brag about your book. Um, tell us how we can learn not more about you, but also learn more from you. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from all of you. So please send a note and message that where you found it so that I know to properly credit where from the Jerry's conversation. Uh, I'm on most of the social media platforms as well as uh, our company. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you look at my name, Monica H. Kang or a K-A-N-G or Innovators Box with an S. Um, for those who like to read through learning, check out my book, Rethink Creativity. I, I try to break this down as easily 
and digestible and fun. Uh, you'll see a lot of fun uh, tips and insight you can use in the professional space. And most importantly, if you're a video watcher, I've started a handful of new video series, both where I interview other people and how they stay creative in different ways, whether it's communication or how they work with different communities um, and also story collections to stay positive minded. Because another thing about creative mindset is you become what you consume. So if you don't know where to start, you have to consume a lot of different creative content that inspires you to be curious, creative, and wondering what else you can do. Thank you, Monica. I really enjoyed our conversation. I think it is inspiring. It is something that really brings me a tremendous amount of joy as somebody who is doing my part to try to share out as many amazing and awesome stories of people that look like us that can really inspire um, and, and to do things that as, as early as 20 years ago, uh, that uh, we didn't think that was possible for people who look like me and you to sit on stages, to have platforms, and to talk about creativity. That's something that wasn't allowed um, to talk about being proud and being, um, you know, really proud and, and happy about our immigration journeys and not being ashamed of who we are and where we come from because as you mentioned, at the end of the day, if you want to be a happy person and shine in your true color, you have to know you. You have to know yourself. And that really begins with where you come from. And because we live in a duality of culture and duality of identity, yes, it's even yes, it is equally important to ask your parents and grandparents of who your family was and what you guys were, you know, uh, proud of back home in our in our native countries, but also what was that point of you becoming the dash, the slash American that so many of us now identify as? So um, great thoughts, great advice. Um, I really, really look forward to all this craziness in the world being behind us, Monica. Um, looking forward to seeing you on a stage in a near future. Um, and in the meantime, please, please, please check out Monica. She provides a lot of positive and thoughtful content out there. Um, and, and grab her book, um, read her stuff. I, I think it's so amazing. Um, if you're, if you're listening to the podcast, she's holding up the book to the camera. Um, it's rethink creativity. And so, uh, Monica, thank you again for making time. It's, it's been fun. Um, you mentioned, um, on, on a, we, we did a video earlier for, for your show and you asked when was the last time you laughed? Um, I, I think this is a, a good memory of that will stay in my mind forever of when did I feel really uplifted. So thank you for providing that for me. And I'm sure for many people that are listening, um, be well, stay safe and to brighter days ahead. Monica, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Jerry, for doing this. Thanks for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Monica. I think she's got a great story. Uh, she's been through a lot and I it's so amazing that she's decided to take all her experiences, some good, some educational, and decided to turn it into an entire business where it is all about creativity and positivity and sharing that with the rest of the world. So please do go check her out on Instagram. Video that features me just launched on YouTube today. So please do go check it out. We'll link it in the podcast notes. If you found Monica's story inspiring or resonant, please do share it with a friend or two. And you can do that by sending them the link to these shows or posting it on your Facebook or Instagram wall. I would be very grateful if you did that for us. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Eurasian Americans 
where you can find the link to apply to be on the show if you want to come on and share your own story. As always, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. We're on episode 30, 30 down, many more to go. And all thanks to you. This morning, we also hit 2,000 listens across all platforms. It means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Dear Asian Americans, stay safe, stay healthy. I'll see you next time.